we, we all applaud the coach that calls that timeout at that critical moment, right? Mm. Why? Guys, it's a minute and a half to go. and We have one goal lead. We're not shooting the ball, right? Like you need that reminder for those teenage kids because they're, they're thinking go to the rack, right? So what do you do? You bring them to the sideline, you engage their logical faculties, you pause and you allow them to think a little bit more about what do they want to do? Okay, we want to win this game, so let's hold on to the rock. That is something, that's a learned skill that coaches, regardless of whether or not they know it or not, are teaching their kids uh, to, the, to the point of, you know, that's what you're saying. You're not teaching a lacrosse player, you're teaching kids. It's teaching them how to step back, pause, and evaluate, and, and to then really choose, okay, is grit where we need to go? Do we really have to just put our head down and go? Or, hey, can we work it from this angle? Like, that, that's, that's the, that, that pause is critical. Hello and welcome to episode 10 of the 50 Cups of Coffee podcast. I am your host, Bobby Audley. I am a speaker and trainer with the Pinot Training Group, where we work with teams and organizations looking to create powerful, positive, peak performance team cultures. This podcast is a show that was inspired by my 2016 TEDx talk called the 50 Cups of Coffee Challenge. Go check that out on YouTube if you haven't already. In the talk, I challenge you to sit down for a conversation with 50 people in a year. That number might sound big until you fully appreciate this is not all about networking. It is about simply connecting with people. To keep my personal 50 Cups of Coffee Challenge alive during this time of social distancing, I have added time slots on my Calendly page for a cup of coffee with Bobby. I think if you search calendly.com forward slash Bobby Audley zero one, that's C-A-L-E-N-D-L-Y dot com forward slash Bobby Audley, and then the numbers zero one. I think if you search that and then click on the cup of coffee with Bobby link, it should take you to a calendar page to be able to sign up for a virtual cup of coffee. I know it works because I already had an old friend from college sign up for a virtual chat. I just don't know if just by searching that instead of the entire URL, it'll get you there. So please try it out. If it works, awesome. If it doesn't work for you, shoot me a direct message on social and and we can get this thing figured out. This is also the place to sign up for your one-hour free athlete-at-home coaching and accountability session. If you are an athlete stuck at home right now or a parent or coach of an athlete, during this time of quarantine and canceled seasons, I am offering my one-on-one peak performance coaching program specifically designed for athletes. The objective of the program is to create and maintain a powerful, positive, and peak performance daily routine to stay on track with your 2020 athletic goals while in this state of partial quarantine. With seasons canceled and school either online or suspended, this coaching program done using Zoom is an opportunity for your student athlete to develop and enhance the gains they made this year and ensure he or she doesn't lose those gains. Instead, they build themselves up and prepare daily for when their sport or training starts back up. They hone their edge during this time. The first session is a no-cost conversation of defining your goals, acknowledging your challenges or roadblocks, and creating a daily routine to set yourself up for success this spring. If that is all your athlete needs, awesome. We are genuinely here to serve during this difficult and strange time for athletes. I cannot imagine if in high school or college, 
my lacrosse season was canceled, and I was left home to figure it out on my own. We are here to help. If after session one, your athlete is interested in the full program, awesome. Sincerely, either decision is fine with me. Any way we can help. To schedule a session or simply learn more, check out that Calendly link, calendly.com forward slash bobbyaudley01, or message me on social at bobbyaudley. Or head on over to pennotraininggroup.com, P-E-N-N-E-A-U, traininggroup.com. Click on contact and fill out the form. In the comments portion of the form, simply write athlete coaching program. Last week's coffee shop shout out was for Rise Up Coffee here in Maryland where I live. This week is another local favorite of mine with Ceremony Coffee. On their site, they have this quote that I love. The idea of ceremony starts with the thought that coffee by itself is compelling, but how it brings people to connect in explicitly human ways all over the world is what makes it infinitely spellbinding. Online, you can purchase bags of their awesome coffee, and you can shop for great coffee-making gear, and soon you will be able to read on their site how to brew it properly with their brewing guides coming soon. Typically, they offer brewing classes in their stores, which is super cool, and I'm excited to check out these brewing guides when they get them up. If you are missing the coffee shop experience and a quality cup of coffee, head on over to ceremonycoffee.com. That's C-E-R-E-M-O-N-Y, coffee.com. Right now, their website says they are offering free shipping on orders over $20. Again, these are not ads or paid sponsorships. These shops have no idea I'm even doing this. I just love coffee, love a local coffee shop, and want to help support these small businesses during a time when we are not able to stop in and support them in person. My guest this week is Gordon Corsetti. This is another interview that I had planned for the future and bumped up due to the current time we are all doing our best to deal with. Gordon is a lacrosse referee, which is how we connected, and I learned that he is an individual who lives with clinical depression and generalized anxiety disorder. In his words, he suffered for years until he learned how to attack his depressed thoughts and gain mastery over them. Now, Gordon shares methods to help those with and without mental illness live more fulfilling lives. Through public speaking engagements and workshops, Gordon teaches breath work, body awareness, mindfulness, meditation, and how to remain calm and grounded in any situation. I first read about Gordon in the US Lacrosse Magazine piece he wrote called Lacrosse Saved My Life back in 2018. It is a vulnerable and honest true story of how close Gordon has come to suicide and how his sport and his connections from his sport has saved his life. If you have not yet read this article or heard of Gordon Corsetti, this interview starts immediately with Gordon telling his story of how lacrosse saved his life. Gordon is a very honest and candid mental health advocate and expert. In this interview, he talks about the times he has considered suicide or tried to take his own life. And he talks about what tools, strategies, and quite frankly, tips saved his life and continue to do so today. Gordon's website is mentallyagile.com, M-E-N-T-A-L-L-Y-A-G-I-L-E.com, mentallyagile.com. And he talks about why he prefers the term mental agility to mental toughness. I've been looking forward to this interview because I believe the work Gordon does and how he shares his truth is so important. I bumped it up because I believe now is the time to have a conversation like this. I was talking to a college coach we work with this past week, and he said 
My communication with my team so far has not been about soccer. It has been about them. I want to know how they are doing during this scary time. I am not concerned about the soccer player. I am concerned about the person. This is an unprecedented time for most of us right now, and this interview is an important conversation about how to help yourself or those you love when they are dealing with mental health challenges. I will make two notes before getting into the interview. Number one, this is another interview done using Zoom due to social distancing, and there are more blips than last week with Alan Stein Jr. And I also didn't ask Gordon to repeat quite as much as I did with Alan, so maybe you didn't notice it quite as much in the last interview. I didn't ask Gordon to repeat because we got into a great flow of conversation, and I didn't want to interrupt it. If I felt you didn't miss much, I let it go. If we really missed something major, I asked Gordon to repeat it. So please keep that in mind when listening. Lastly, Gordon nor I are medical professionals. If you or someone you know is seeking help for mental health concerns, visit the National Alliance on Mental Health website or call 1-800-950-6264. That's 1-800-950-6264. For confidential treatment referrals, visit the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration website or call the National Helpline at 1-800-662-HELP. That's 1-800-662-4357. In an emergency, contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255 or call 911. Now, please enjoy my cup of coffee with Gordon Corsetti. I started experiencing when I was about 14, 15 years old, some unpleasant thoughts. Um, I couldn't tell you exactly what they were now. It was just this, this growing weight that kept coming onto my shoulders of, you know, you're just not good enough. It starts very, very innocuously on that end. So I, I described them as whispers, very, very background noise, very, just very low, just, just barely registering my consciousness of, of um, you're not doing well enough failing at this, nobody likes you, um, you're, you're, you're burdening um, your, your parents, they're disappointed in you, uh, nobody will understand, that's a common one that continues to come up. And I was uh, going through this not knowing at all that I could even possibly have a mental illness, that wasn't even, that having all these, these progressively awful thoughts, and they were moving from these, these general thoughts of uh, I'm not worth anything, and I'm I'm failing at life, and 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 you know, I'm I, I don't deserve any of the things that 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 I've I've been given or that I've earned. Uh, to I'm becoming a burden on the people that I care about the most. And when that started happening, then the the thoughts. And when it was around 18, I started planning out my my first attempt at suicide, which was going to be to drive my car over uh, a fairly steep uh, cliff, effectively. Uh, wouldn't wear my seatbelt, and at the very least, my parents would be able to say, Gordon died in a car wreck, as teenage boys can do, as teenagers can do. Um, and that'd be a much more understandable story for them to be able to wrap their heads around. Like, I didn't want to burden them even more with the thought of Gordon died uh, by his own hand. Um, and so the, the 
probably the, 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 the most connecting piece of the article is that uh, for how it is with lacrosse is I'm on the lacrosse field. So I, I had this plan for about eight months of my senior year of high school. Um, and every day I'm just looking for a sign that I'm, I'm not going to make it home that night. Um, uh, and, and that, so I'm waiting for this sign uh, that's just going to, that's going to say everything that I am, I am, I'm completely correct. And suicide is the only option for, for me to, to take my way out. It's the only control aspect I have over, over my life and, and my thoughts. And that happened like in March or April. Uh, and I'm guarding, I was a LSM, uh, guard my buddy, Ben, uh, we're at the top of the box and he dusts me on a, a left or right dodge breaks my ankles totally just at, at, just crushes me on this dodge <laughs> and goes by me scores and I'm furious and this for everything kind of built up in that I'm smashing my helmet on the ground and and my coach he's just like hey whoa that's not how seniors behave that's not how captains react that's not a you can't it was one of those things where it was so far outside my usual character um, that it was like whoa what what the heck and uh, that in that moment I, I told myself I was like I'm I'm doing this I'm going to drive my car off of that. And I took my gear off after practice, walked down to the parking lot, and I just sat on the back hatch of my Jeep and just sat there until all the parking – like I just wanted time to myself just to, you know, get get my thoughts in order, really. Um, ben was one of the last people to leave, and he came up to me, and he was like, hey, man, what's going on? And I didn't – I don't remember saying anything. I just said this, like – thousand yard stare going forward, um, not registering really him at all. And, and, uh, he realized something was up, sat down and, and just said, how can I help? Because it was the first time anybody had, had asked me really how I was doing without meaning it in, in like just the colloquial sense. It was just like, dude, what's really going on here? I broke down. I told him what I was planning on doing and, and he, 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 he heard it all. He didn't try to give me any advice. He just kind of let me vent for a bit. And then he, he stayed with me for the next like several hours. And then eventually I'm, I'm less in a mental crisis. Um, and he uh, got me to commit to coming to the school counselor the next day. And, and that was my first introduction into, into actual therapy. Um, but the article made a big jump to some other parts of my life. But that was the first period of time where um, I had an acute suicidal episode. And I had a friend, a connection that, that really... Um, uh, kept me alive. Uh, and I, I say it to schools. I'm like, I'm, I'm not here today without my friend, Ben. Like that was the, the closest, um, I will have come to, to really wanting to, to, to do something. If somebody hadn't been there, like I wasn't fully aware of all the consequences of my actions. This, this, this was a risk. If he hadn't come up to me, I was, I was going to do that. Right. And so we jumps to college and a lot of what I do talking wise is talking about these significant breaks in, in people's lives where they're doing a major transition and, and just be aware of the stress of that. And I broke down in college. Um, I started playing college across a Presbyterian college in South Carolina. And it was not what I thought college across was going to be uh, because it was a D3 school when I uh, signed up uh, <laughs> and enrolled and um, it became a D1 school for their football and basketball programs, um, along with all their other programs my senior year of high school. So suddenly I went from being a D3 athlete, which I was. I was totally a D3 athlete, yeah. to suddenly Air Force and Duke are on our schedule. And I'm like, that's no, I'm, I already know that is not, <laughs> not yeah. going to work. 
for me. Um, like I knew myself at the very least. Uh, but I broke down in, in, in college and uh, I, I, you know, dropped out several times. Had a you not in a plane because of that? Yeah, I, I, well, I got in a plane be, in, in an extent. I also kind of got a little, um, I took things very seriously. Mm-hmm. And um, the first couple of practice in fall ball, that just wasn't the case uh, for, for some other guys on the team. And I, I got tired of doing punishment running. I was like, I want to yep. practice. I don't want to do this bit. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to study. And then, uh, then that's where um, my, my break from my playing days happened. And, and eventually I, I, I pivoted over to officiating. Mm-hmm. But, um, uh, but the article continues on a, a bit of, of saying of uh, the other kind of major episodes of my life where I, I attempted in my life. And I won't go into detail. So I, I won't go into detail on these. It's uh, just important that uh, just for uh, your listeners to know. So I attempted to end my life uh, by hanging uh, when I was about 23, 20, also in 23, when I was 23, I tried to die by an overdose. And when I was about 25, I tried to end my life with a handgun. Mm-hmm. Um, and so each of those, you know, they get progressively more lethal as you go along. Um, and the, the difficult thing for, for me is that I went through all those experiences, uh, the buildup to all of those, you know, potential end of life moments, uh, without disclosing how I was feeling to anybody. Um, I still very much felt one of the, the, the agonies of depression is that it tricks you into into thinking that one, nobody cares and two, nobody's going to listen anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, there's no point. It's becomes very insular. You become very it's emotional tunnel vision. You just don't feel other people around you in the sense that you do in your, 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 your you know, in your normal day to day. Um, so I had gone through those experiences and just stopped at, the, at really the last moments and frustrated with myself. Like I was, I was upset with myself because I couldn't kill myself. Like that's how warped my brain was. Mm-hmm. Right. But eventually I was able to put that, once I got with the handgun, I was like, you know what, if I can't die with this, then I can't use this as an option anymore. And let me see if I just can't make something of my life a little bit. That was kind of my, my, my bottom moment, if you will. Um, and even though in, in, in since then, over the last, you know, uh, six, seven years or so, I've had dips where I've had to be hospitalized and um, to, twice over the last two years, or twice over the last four years, I think is, is uh, what I've had to do there. But that's, that's preventative. It's, it's to, it's for me reaching out and being like, I'm in a situation where uh, all the, all the tools and skills that I've developed over the years aren't working anymore. And I need to go someplace where I'm going to be safe from myself until this is passed and, and, and I get a, a handle on things. So I'm, I'm fully expecting my life to, to have, have some hospitalization stays um, in the future. Um, it's just one of those things where I, I kind of got to, you know, that's just the, the, the hand I was dealt kind of mm-hmm. thing. And I, I've got to roll with it as best as I can. Um, but the article, I, I think, ended on a, on a pretty strong positive note in that I shared, I put a, a, a toolkit of things that I do daily, weekly, and monthly. Um, which uh, was my dad's favorite part of it because he thought, you know, he's got to do all this stuff just to keep his, his brain healthy. 
So my dad's favorite part uh, was that toolkit because it, it broke things down into uh, daily, weekly, and monthly things that I do for myself uh, to keep the, the dysfunctional part of my brain from, from running the show. Um, but it's, 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 that was the start of, of now these different toolkits I'm building in mental agility where I um, just say like, you know, here's, here's a whole bunch of options for you. Like pick one, pick two, try them, see what's working. Like I've done all of these that, that I write about. Um, I've, I've, I've tried them all. Some work better for me than others. Some only work in crisis situations. Others I do day to day. Um, but they're all learned skills that uh, anybody, regardless of age, really can, can pick up on for a better quality of life. And the article ended with uh, really like a sentence or two that just said, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a piece with the part of me that hates myself. And I realize that I don't suck at suicide. I succeed in living. And that it, it took me almost 30 years to be able to flip that mentality around of that I'm burdened by this thing to instead um, I've learned a, a, a significant amount of valuable lessons from my depression, from my anxiety and from my, my experiences with, with suicide attempts to make my life better. And if it helps me at this extreme, then I think these things can help anybody else um, who comes across even one of these tools that I've, I've picked up. Yeah. And, uh, number one, I appreciate your just transparency and candor with your story because that is helpful, uh, just sharing kind of the full, uh, journey. And I want to get into the toolkit and, and the lessons and strategies that you've used and taken away. And before we get into that, the question that pops into my mind is you, it, I'm, what I'm reading from your story is a tremendous, sense of self-awareness uh and you said it yourself that you're very self-aware um how is that have you always been obviously like when did you become so self-aware of kind of who you are and what fuels you and and what, what what deflates you and 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 i guess is there a way for someone listening who is has someone in mind that this these lessons and toolkits might be helpful for? Because if someone's listening and ready to implement the toolkit, then perhaps they've already had that self-awareness that I could use some of this stuff. If someone's listening and thinking, I got a player or kid or colleague who could use this, how do they help that individual to, to be open to these ideas? I think the the first part of your question, I, I, I have a, a very early memory of uh, me being just super angry in, in, in elementary school. I was a, I was a very angry elementary school kid, but the I remember the, the, the school nurse or counselor or something. And I think this is where like my fascination with just kind of how I think got started and then psychology in, in general and how the brain operates um, is she, she just sort of started saying like, write, write down your angry thoughts and they're going to travel from your brain down your arm, through your hand, through the pencil, onto the paper, and then then they're out of you, and then you, you'll be less angry. And I remember doing that. And that was my very first experience with with journaling of any kind. Was was as an elementary school kid trying to manage his anger a little bit uh, more effectively. Um, but that's certainly since I, I've the benefit about being an introvert is is you have to learn how to be your own best friend in a way. Like I've got. I've had plenty of good conversations with myself and crack myself up plenty uh, because I, I, I like my time to myself. Um, the, the, the tough thing about this current social isolation bit here is, is that, you know, it's not an introvert's dream. It's, it's not, we like people, we just like them in small doses. And I have to 
I've been actively working on like reaching out and FaceTiming and calling friends and texting people want to get isolated as a, as a cause of this because that's something that I do on my own with my depression. I start, I start not talking to people. I start not going out anywhere. And now, now we're saying don't go anywhere. <laughs> so like, all right, great. Now I already have a, a thing I've got to navigate with uh, the, the, you know, the social distancing that we have to do in our, our shelter in place orders. Um, but the, the self-awareness I think is, has, I don't know. I've always had a bent for philosophy, and 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 uh, I think a lot of what I learned in, in martial arts, especially, um, is just self control. Start learning more self control in the mind. Um, I mean, they go hand in hand, uh, as any as anybody doing anything physical um, and, and in any sport will, will learn. You, you start doing that, and then then you start getting better at that, and and suddenly you don't even have to think about it anymore. And then you then you can really start refining the minutia of what it is. But the, just the aspect of, of, you know, knowing where my head was at before I stepped onto the mat or before I stepped onto the lacrosse field or before I took a test or anything like that, looking back on it now, I'm like, oh, okay. I was learning about the brain before I realized I was, that's what I was doing and, and, and how the mind operates. Um, now what I'm trying to uh, impress upon uh, parents, especially uh, is because they have, they ask. I was I was doing a uh, a talk in a middle school, and they're like, "So what are we, what are we looking out for? You know, what are our warning signs if our if our kid is is seriously thinking about potential self harm uh, or ending their life?" Um, and I say the the so I'm a field advocate for the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. I also do a lot of reading on uh, the, the um, National Alliance on on Mental Illness (NAMI) and two great organizations. Uh, if anybody wants to learn more about suicide prevention and the advocacy work there, um, but specifically at, at what what to do when somebody's in a crisis, and you do what Ben did, he recognized a marked departure from my usual behavior. So that can go in in some ways. You see, the extrovert suddenly becomes. In insular and withdrawn and doesn't speak as much and is walking slow and talking slow. Or you might see the, the inverse of that with the introvert being much more outgoing and maybe even a little bit more visibly happier. Why? Because they've figured out a plan in their head or they're working on one. And so they have this one element of, of, of their life that they finally feel like they're in control of and that, that, that brings them out of the shell a little bit. So it's really looking at Marked changes in behavior, number one, and this comes from the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. So this is the, the national uh, guidelines and recommendations from the doctors and, and, and professionals and experts there uh, that I, I do in my, my field advocacy work is you notice a marked change in behavior, you go to that person, you ask, how can I help you? Are you thinking about ending your life? Are you thinking about hurting yourself? And it's, it, it feels weird when people hear that. Because the, 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 the fear is that that's going to cause somebody to think about suicide when they weren't already doing it. Not the case. Total myth. Uh, the research actually indicates that if you ask that specific question, are you thinking about hurting yourself? Are you thinking about ending your life? That strips away all the other potential BS that they can use to kind of cloud the conversation. And they'll either say more than likely, the, the interesting thing is people will admit that, yeah, I'm thinking this way and, and it's scaring me and I don't really know what to do. Or they don't say anything at all. And that's an answer in and of itself. 
and and that's just that's another sign of just like I need to stay with this person. So the really the big pieces of this are are recognizing that change in behavior, asking specifically, are you thinking about hurting yourself? You know, are you okay? What can Maintaining a non-judgmental attitude for the whole bit. You don't want to be giving advice. It's not like you can, you're not going to convince somebody in that kind of crisis that their life is worth living. They're, they can't think that far ahead. I've been in that spot and I'm not, no, I'm not thinking beyond 30 minutes from now, right? So that, that, or all the people are thinking of the people less fortunate than you or, oh, you're going to be, you know, you know, you're, you're going to hurt your family and all this kind of stuff. Those, they're, they're not going to enter in in a meaningful way. Instead, it's stay with them as long as it's safe for you to do so. Stay with them, keep them occupied. What we're doing is creating space in the crisis. Mm -hmm. So the idea is to give time for these chemicals to kind of get out of the brain a little bit, all these crisis chemicals from the fight or flight response to start getting reabsorbed in the bloodstream and out of the brain and giving a chance for the more logical faculties of the front part of the brain, the prefrontal cortex to come online and then be like, you know what? I can wait a day with this. Okay. I'll go see a therapist. You know, we'll set something up in the exact same way that, that Ben really saved my life when I was, you know, 18. Um, th that's the process. If you're, if you're really concerned about an individual friend, family, loved one, whatever, um, that that's, that's the, so far that as far as we know, the best way in, in terms of preventing the yeah. last step that is always get them to a professional that might be get them to the hospital, to the ER. It might be call the therapist, call the psychiatrist, uh, go to the doctor's office, whatever. It could even having to be called 911. Like that it's, it's just the last step on that whole end is, is get them to some kind of professional help where they're going to be, uh, under observation. Yeah. And so just to, cause I, I, uh, to, to kind of summarize, the steps. So you said, stay, if, if someone is in that place, number one, reiterate that asking them specifically if they're considering this is the right thing to do. Um, and then number two, stay with them. And, mm -hmm. and, and then I know you cut out a little bit. So that's, why I want to make sure I don't want to cut and skip and go back. Cause what you said was really great. I just want to make sure that we get yeah. all the steps. And, and then it was, um, you're not, you came back into, into, into frame when you were talking about not trying to convince them otherwise, but yeah. simply just staying with them. Correct. Don't give advice. Your, your don't job. Give advice. That's what it was. Okay. Don't give advice. So the, the idea is, so it, the analogy is somebody is in, a, in, in an oak, like they've just jumped ship and they're in the ocean and the waves are crashing on top of them. And there's a reason the AFSP's logo is a life preserver, right? On its own, it does nothing but provide stability. That's it, right? It's, it in and of itself is not going to get that person out of this crisis situation. What it will do is provide time for the emergency professionals to get to that individual. So it's just providing time. So again, yeah, ask the person specifically, are you thinking about ending your life or, or hurting yourself? Don't give advice, stay non-judgmental, as long as it's safe for you to do so, to stay with them. Uh, so they're under some form of supervision and then get them to some professional, some medical professional uh, or 911 if, if that's the only other option. Yeah. And I want to make a point right now, too, because um, sadly, I have been impacted with friends uh, of, uh, by suicide. And, and I think most of us 
can relate to it uh, to someone we know, whether it's attemptive or or just they lost their life because of it. And anytime it happens, there are people in my life that will say, uh, I don't understand. And they're allowed to not understand, but it also comes from a place of assuming that this individual was in a right state of mind when they did it. And um, I, on your website, you have statistics from the National Alliance on Mental Illness, and two of them stood out to me, not necessarily related to suicide, but I think they make the point I'm trying to make. The first one said 37% of students with a mental health condition age 14 and older drop out of school, the highest dropout rate of any disability group. And the next one was 70% of youth in state and local juvenile justice systems have a mental illness. And why I bring these up now is because I think those are two other situations dropping out of school or individuals in, in trouble with the law where people say they might not understand an action that an individual took, depending on their age, regardless of age. And as if they're trying to, they're, they're thinking of this person in the right state of mind. And so when you talked about them kind of allowing the, 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 the conscious or the thoughts to, to, get out of their head try giving them advice in that moment is not gonna be helpful I think that's really important because when we think about uh, dropping out of school when we think about dropping out of sports and we think about uh, individuals getting into to trouble with the law when we think about people with suicidal thoughts or taking action on that it's important to remember that these individuals are most likely and many are dealing with a, a disability dealing with a mental illness and and our job is to help them it is not to to judge their actions in that moment and instead it's to say how can we seek to understand and help because because i just that's too often the mental health conversation is almost a sidebar to the conversation of the issues or the actions that they took yeah i mean i couldn't couldn't agree more with you on that one the um the thing that so I, I, when I speak to coaches, right, I take them through the brain science, uh, but I also teach them why it is that kids think the way that they do. And I, I ask a very simple question because most of the, most of everybody in the coaching room is like 35 and up, right? And, and how old are you, Bobby? Don't mind me asking? Uh, 30. Okay. So I'm 32. All right. And I ask everybody in the room, I'm like, do me a favor, close your eyes and think back to a moment in your, you know, high school, college life, and you are amazed, stunned, in fact, that you're still alive or not in jail. And everybody just like cracks up for one little bit. They're just like, uh, yeah, some people raise both of their hands like, yeah, that was me. Hmm. Um, but I said, okay, reason for that, the prefrontal cortex, the furthest, most evolved part of the human brain doesn't really fully come online until at least 25. And for uh, boys, especially, it's, it's a little bit longer. So you can say even up to 30, right? That you, it's taken that long for your brain to be fully where it's supposed to be for long-term thinking, for delayed gratification, for fully thinking through all the consequences of your actions. And that was my next question. So that's all that the, pre, like the prefrontal cortex is all of those things, the long-term thinking, the consequences for actions and that sort of thing. Yes. And that's yeah. where, so, so that's where when you look at kids and you're like, why do you make that impulsive decision? It, they, they have the smallest possible guard in their brain for that impulsive decision. And the impulsive decision is going to win. Mm -hmm. uh, one of my favorite authors, uh, Christopher Hitchens puts it, 
we live in a, in, in a modern world with a Stone Age brain, number one. And number two, that Stone Age brain has a prefrontal cortex that's too small for our lives and an amygdala that's too big. So our fight or flight, our, our let's, let's run into this problem or run away from this problem is way too great. Our, our instinct to just fight through it. That's the amygdala, the fight or flight. Yeah. That's the amygdala. So tiny little, it, it's shaped like an almond, two little almonds uh, in, toward the midbrain. Uh, that's responsible for all your, you know, your increased heart rate uh, when you're under stress, sweating, blood going to your extremities, uh, the butterfly feeling that you get before a game. That's all the amygdala just pumping out chemicals saying like, we're, we got to get ready for, for a fight or we got to get ready for flight. And the problem is you're in that situation. You think of a stressed kid, right? Whether it's stressed about school, social life, problems with the law, add on a mental illness on top of that. Right. And then add on the fact that they don't have brains that are as good at, about thinking as adults. That's why kids make weird decisions to us. And, and it's one of the things I try to drive home to coaches and be like, physically possible for them to think the way you do. So you got to find ways in which you can, you can approach that uh, and, and teach them in little bits so that they can start seeing a little bit more long-term, a little bit further down the road um, and, and start working on that delayed gratification with them, on working with small victories um, and also working with, you know, being able to have that, that, that check in your head of like, am I feeling all right? Uh, 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 do I need to go get some help? And, and all, all, basically all the things I, I didn't grow up knowing. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, to, to my next kind of portion of questions was related to the work you do with coaches. So um, there's a good transition to really get into that. And what I like is, you know, looking at everything we've talked about and the brain development side of things. Um, I read Changing the Game Project by John O'Sullivan a few years ago and saw his TEDx talk and started listening to his Way of Champions podcast, which if you like this, I'm, I'm, uh, uh, I don't want to make it sound like I'm trying to put myself up there with John. Go listen to his. Uh, I, think it's, I think it's a great podcast, too. He, he's phenomenal at this. And um, it was he uses the I was introduced to this line by him. I don't know if he came up with it, but it's the concept that you're not coaching a lacrosse player, a soccer player, a football player. You're coaching a kid. And, and even at the, the professional ranks, you're coaching a human being and keeping that in mind, like you said, you know, it's physically impossible. If you're looking at a kid and wondering why they make decisions, well, it's they, their brain is not where yours is yet. Yeah. You've got to think in terms of how they think. And um, I, excuse me, I, uh, but I think it was two years ago now, I worked with a high school club volleyball team. So they're, they're rising seniors, juniors in high school, Northern Virginia, and, and it's a pretty uh, high achieving area. And, mm -hmm. and it was a pretty high achieving group of players and individuals. And a lot of them want to go to really competitive division one athletic schools and academic schools. And we're doing this day long training and um, the word stress kept coming up. And so I finally asked them to talk about that. And they said, these are, these are juniors in high school. And they said they're incredibly stressed out by the school process and all the work that they have. They're stressed out by their sport. They're stressed out by the pressure they put on themselves. They're stressed out by the pressure their parents put on them, which isn't 
out of male intent. They're trying to help. They're, they're stressed out by their coaches. They're stressed out by the college decision process and maybe getting something wrong. And, and we're not even talking about potential mental illnesses in the group. We're just talking about stress. And I bring that up because one of my favorite posts that you had was when you talk about mental agility in contrast to mental toughness and, and just kind of this, this nuance. I love the way you share it of, of why you think mental agility and you're not, you're not kind of, you know, shaming the mental toughness advocates. You do a really good job of just saying, here's a different way of thinking about it. And I think even right now in an, in a time where, you know, I, I have a, a, an athlete coaching program that I've done for a while that I'm rolling out at a higher level because there's a lot of athletes that are stuck at home and, and they're being kids, which means maybe they're staying up too late and sleeping in too late. And their parents are now saying, okay, great. That's fine for a little bit, but we're now into week two or three of this quarantine and you need a routine uh, to, to keep yourself on track. And it's like, yes, they do. And there's a balance there of, of having some grace because they're a kid. And so uh, I, want, I want to give you space to talk about that, that uh, uh, idea of mental agility and what you mean by that and, and how it contrasts to mental toughness. Sure. Um, so the, it, it took me a couple iterations before I really landed on, on mental agility. Like, the fun, like it finally like felt right. I'm like, okay, this, this is, you know, it, it's, I've been an athlete all my life. I'm continuing to be involved in athletics and sport. And and I really believe in, in training the mind in, in the same vein that we would train the body, uh, just using different mechanisms to go about that. And the, the story behind why it, it is mental agility comes from my, my kickboxing background. So all through high school, I, I played lacrosse, and I also did kickboxing and Brazilian jiu-jitsu. My kickboxing instructor, Mr. B, would just, I mean, he would beat me up mercilessly in just about every class. <laughs> Um, and eventually I, I got good and I mean, he was a phenomenal instructor, but when we sparred, he, he, he didn't have a, a an 80, an 80% setting. He, he went hundred percent and, uh, and I had to figure it out. And one time, you know, so I, I was always very focused in, in lacrosse in kickboxing and jujitsu in school of getting all the little things, perfect, accurate, best technique at all times, no exceptions. Right. And so I'm standing in front of Stevie B and he is just laying into me um, and just, you know, pop, pop, pop. Like, uh, I'm just like, and eventually he just stops and he goes, Gordon, are you ever going to move? <laughs> or are you just going to let me keep punching you in the face? Because <laughs> I was so worried about, hey, is, am I defending it right? And, and so I never changed planes. I never adjusted where my head was in relation to his fists. And I never considered moving at a different angle and then attacking him in a different space when he wasn't in a position to attack me. And so that's the, the, the story behind mental toughness. My, my goal with mental agility is to be able to say, hey, let's move the mind to a different space. Let's think a little bit more clearly over here so we can attack this problem much more efficiently and probably we would let Sorry. You said probably, so you're going to attack the problem, you know, mental agility, is, so mental toughness is almost staying there, getting hit. Mental agility yeah. is moving aside and attacking the problem. And then you said probably with less. So, oh yeah. So, so the idea is, so if you're not getting hit all the time, you're like every single time you have to absorb a blow, right? Every time you have to absorb a hit, you're taking also a hit in your cognitive abilities too. Mm. So the more that you can avoid these things and avoid all these different stresses in a healthy way, the more likely you're going to have more mental willpower 
to be able to deal with whatever it is that, that you've got in front of you. So my thing is, is less haste. Let's recognize when you're in the pocket and just getting pummeled, right? That's, that's number one is recognizing that. And realizing number two, that yes, you could stay there and weather that storm and white knuckle it. And, and finally your opponent gets tired and then you can do your thing. But that's very draining. It's very exhausting and it's not sustainable. Right. So I'm like, I, I, I believe in grit. Um, but one of the things I write on my blog is that I, I, I attack the lack of strategy that most coaches go to when they say mental toughness which is just go get a helmet and just tough it out. And I'm like, that's awesome for professional athletes or high level college athletes who know all the little things that they're supposed to do. But when you're talking high schoolers and younger kids who are still developing their familiarity with their chosen sport, that is in my mind, pretty useless advice because it doesn't teach them to think. It just teaches them to, to, to stay in front of the problem. And my goal of mental agility is to get them to move their thought process a little bit so they, they can be more efficient with the energy that they have while also not having to absorb as many blows. And so that's, that's how can I think more clearly under stress? How can I de-stress when I'm there? How can I use what part of my prefrontal cortex is online um, the most and, and not run in fear or, or, or have to you know, put my hands up? Yeah. That's brilliant. I love that. That uh, just so the concept of recognize um, when you're getting pummeled and and uh, uh, kind of make a decision. Like you said, there might be opportunities or times or or seasons of life where where yeah, grit is is what's needed, and there might be times where adjusting course is needed. Yeah. Um, and Absolutely. you're 100 percent on point. It seems like you know I uh, the it, it, I, the world is. I shouldn't say the world as if it's some grand statement. My opinion is people can be very black or white with things. So um, when like the grind and grit and, and hustle, and I think it was Angela Duckworth who wrote that book, when that all came out, it was the most popular thing going. Grit is important. And then all of a sudden there were maybe a couple of coaches that would say, I don't like the word grind and I don't like the word grit. And all of a sudden I was like, you're right. You can't have it. And I was on a podcast one time and it was around this time where I had been um, like hashtagging the grind because I was trying to make the point of like, I was working with a lot of teams where they would have big goals and not want to do the work to reach those goals. And I like to simplify as much as I can. I don't want to overcomplicate any of this. So it's saying, Hey, like plain and simple, the, the, the story I always tell is a basketball team I worked with. You guys said you wanted to be conference champions and you didn't do anything. None of your actions supported that goal. Your mm -hmm. actions supported uh, uh, just having a good time and being a basketball team, but no, no sacrifice was put into this season on your accord. If your coach mm -hmm. didn't make you do it. And so I was in a time in my life where I was saying like, like the grind and the grit is necessary. So I'm on this podcast and the interviewer says, you know, how do you feel about the word grind? And I go, what do you mean? And they go, do you like it or don't like it? And I, I go, I don't like that question because I go, I think it's, it's, it's not getting to the real point of what I I'm gathering. You're trying to understand is where's the nuance here. Like when, when do you decide, yes, I will grind it out. And that doesn't mean I number one, never 
change course, change strategy, pull my head out of getting pummeled. Or number two, um, maybe decide that something isn't for me. Maybe you, maybe you, are, your head's getting pummeled, and your instructor said to you, you know, you can change your strategy. But maybe the instructor looks at you and says, "Hey, Gordon, you're not very good at this, and uh, and you're going to keep getting pummeled uh, if you if you if we keep on this track." And so maybe you know a, a new course or a new idea is important too to consider, which I just don't think it's talked about enough in the conversation of grind and grit. Yeah, I mean, look look at at it this way. I, growing up for myself, I was always taught do X, get Y, right? Like you, you've got to put in X number of hours to do the thing to get good at this bit or to, to get the grid. Okay, cool. All right. Nobody ever talked to me about how do I do when I did all those things and I still failed or didn't do as well as I wanted to. Like, how do I just deal with that emotion? Number one, uh, beyond just, beyond just tough it out, like, oh, life, life is gonna give you lemons or, or things are gonna get difficult, you know? So beyond just that, so how do I just failures of life? But also, nobody ever, I mean, begrudge my parents because they did a phenomenal job with me, I think, and I love them both. I never learned from any adult how to be okay not doing something. Mm. How to be okay pausing had to step back, had to step outside of myself and the thing I was doing, evaluate what I'm doing. Am I grateful for this and the people that I'm with? I never, I mean, I, I kind of think it's a little sad that it took me until I was about 30 to really develop, learn the developing skill of contentment. Of, mm -hmm. and, and, to, and to realize that that's okay, like the always hungry mentality, yes, I get that. You need that to be able to, to have, you know, your degree of inner motivation or if it's, if, it's, if it's winning that conference championship or that trophy and that's that extrinsic motivation, cool, whatever floats your boat. But do you have the capacity? We all do. But have you learned the capacity to step back and be like, I like this or I don't like this? Why? Oh, I'm not giving it my best effort. Is that why I'm feeling that way? Is it because I'm, you know, I don't really have, you know, my friends moved away and, and there's nobody on the team for me anymore. It's, it's the ability through year, I mean, 15 years of therapy of all different types from cognitive behavioral therapy to dialectic behavioral therapy to constructive psychotherapy. I've, I've done a good amount of <laughs> on, on me and I pick and choose from all those things, little stuff that works for me. But one of the biggest ones is just the ability to pause. And, and evaluate what the heck's going on. I mean, we, we all applaud the coach that calls that timeout at that critical moment, right? Mm. Why? Guys, it's a minute and a half to go. and We have one goal, lead. We're not shooting the ball, right? Like you need that reminder for those teenage kids because they're, they're thinking go to the rack, right? So what do you do? You bring them to the sideline, you engage their logical faculties, you pause and you allow them to think a little bit more about what do they want to do? Okay, we want to win this game, so let's hold on to the rock. That is something, that's a learned skill that coaches, regardless of whether or not they know it or not, are teaching their kids uh, to, the, to the point of, you know, that's what you're saying, you're not teaching a lacrosse player, you're teaching kids. It's teaching them how to step back, pause and evaluate, and, and to then really choose, okay, is grit where we need to go? Do we really have to just put our head down and go? Or, hey, can we work it from this angle? Like that, that's, that's the, that, that pause is critical.
Yeah, I love that analogy of we applaud the coach who calls the timeout to pause and we're missing out on March Madness basketball right now. <laughs> and and uh, any time lately, I feel like the last few years, you're starting to see coaches not calling a timeout for the last play. And, and it's funny you mentioned we applaud the coach who calls the timeout. Anytime I see a team that's down and the coach doesn't call a timeout for the last play, uh, whether it works or doesn't work, the commentators are always questioning it, going, oh, should they have done that? Yeah. That was risky. That was a, <laughs> yeah. a, a risky, crazy thing to do to just let people perform. And, and, and you know, maybe there's, there's definitely strategy behind it on the court or on the field, but I love the analogy to say that that's 100% true. It, we, we, we pause in a game to say, even if we're up, I want to make sure we, we keep our heads on straight. If we're down, let's remind ourselves that we have the ability to end this game up. And the same is true in life. It's important to take a pause when you're up to say, let, let me keep my head on straight, stay humble, stay grounded, stay. Uh, uh, that's when we talk about gratitude. Um, that's, that's gratitude. If you allowing yourself to say, here's what I'm appreciative of when things are great and when things are down, especially in a moment like right now, you remind yourself, number one, of what you are grateful for, and number two, that you will get out of this. That's the this too shall pass reality that maybe has become a cliche for a lot of people, but it's reminding yourself that I can end this game on a win. Well, it's it's one of those, so yes, the, the so the this too shall pass, yeah, I've, I've that's been Instagrammed to death. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, and it, and it's accurate. Um, uh, be, be, yeah, it's true. One of those things, but now it's starting to feel a little cliche. The, the one uh, I like is, is still memento mori. Um, so the stoic quote for, so Marcus Aurelius, when he would ride through as the emperor of Rome, ride through um, Rome after like a giant victory or something like that, he employed a servant. I say employed a servant. He had a slave who yeah. would whisper in his ear, uh, memento mori. And it just means remember that you're human. Remember that you're going to die. Remember that all of these things are going to go away uh, and that this is a transient moment. And that's a very difficult thing for kids to understand because I certainly remember being young and feeling invincible, right? And, 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 and my physical health, you know, when, you know, I'm at 32 now and things aren't as easy physically as I can remember. And I got to work a little harder on that and to keep mm -hmm. myself in shape. But it's to remember that, it, yes, all these things are transient and to enjoy that like there's the one bit from the odyssey or even achilles you know is 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 um uh, telling us this woman that you know the gods envy humans because any moment could be our last so every moment can be precious if you really step back to it and i had a conversation with the detroit mercy head coach chris uh, uh Colon, um a couple days ago where he, he made a great point and it, it refreshed how i'm going to how I am speaking about this whole situation as it relates to lacrosse. He said, lacrosse isn't over. The games are over. We're going to be very shortened in certain, some areas. And these types of conversations that we're having are proving that. The fact that kids can still get out and get on the wall is, is proving that. Um, the fact that there are all these guys, yourself included, that are throwing up uh, online tools and, and drills and wall ball things and whatnot the conversation is still being had around the, the thing that we love. It's, it's, it's far more than just the games we play. And I, I, I was struck by that. And I'm like, that's, I'm saying that going through the rest of this thing because yeah, I'm bummed the game is gone. Um, but I can reframe that. You've got the power to reframe 
how you're viewing this situation and put it into a healthier mindset. Yeah, well, that's where, you know, um, so I coach a middle school team. I coach a club team of 10 and under kids. And my uh, two good friends coach lacrosse as well, youth lacrosse. And I had been noticing that my kids that I coach were still getting together in groups to play pickup, which at one level I thought was great. And at the other level, it's like, and yeah, no. we need to stop this. So that's where we started the, and we're certainly not the first people to ever do a wall ball challenge, but we started the wall ball 2020 challenge to say, uh, you know, and I've seen other posts saying, you know, wall ball and lacrosse, which if you're not a lacrosse person, it's literally just you and a wall playing catch similar to you might see someone with tennis doing. And, uh, um, there was a meme that was like the original social distancing and it's just one-on-one -on -one playing wall ball. So, uh, what's been cool about it is I've connected it to the, the concept of the medicine game, you know, and, and now the PLL has posted some videos about that as well with the Thompson brothers talking about how lacrosse was originally a medicine game meant to heal. And, and for us that are lacrosse players and coaches and officials, we can connect to that as this is kind of our, our outlet, even if we're not watching it on TV or on the field and, and whatever your sport is can be your outlet, but you're right. Reframing that reality um, is important. I want to talk about that, but I don't want to get away from this without uh, mentioning, noticing that um, do you read about stoicism? Is that something that uh, you've read a lot about? Uh, yeah, I've, I've got my, uh, uh, one of my daily stuff. Ryan books. Holiday? The Daily Ryan Stuff. Holiday. So, yeah. So I got, I've got this, I've got, um, I, I kind of chip away at meditations, um, reading through Marcus Aurelius's words on that. And it's, for me, just as a student of, of enjoying uh, philosophy and just overall thinking about thinking anyway, um, for me, for me with that study is, is, is more, helpful against that back part of my brain that doesn't like me. I'm like, I'm going to learn more about how I think or how people think and, and a better way to think, uh, to, to, to beat this part of my brain back yeah. on, on difficult days. And, and I've, I've very much enjoyed the, uh, the stoic pers uh, perspective, especially now, uh, where we're all living slightly more. <laughs> you cut out right where you said where we're living slightly more what? Oh, a slightly more Spartan lives than we're used to, or, or yeah. very least, uh, more limited lives. So it's. So what it's is? Uh, we don't have. To, I'm, I'm sure we could do an entire podcast about this, but I just became introduced to Ryan Holiday recently. Oh, he was on. Um, I'm a big fan of the comedian Pete Holmes, and oh. um, <laughs> yeah, you, know, you made it weird podcast, and he's had Ryan Holiday on a couple times, and so that's how I kind of came across him. Um, so what for the, someone who's never heard of it? Um, maybe one or two sentences. What is stoicism? I mean, why, I guess, what is it to you? Uh, the, the cheeky answer is indifference. That's the, um, if, you, yeah. if you look at that is the, but, but the true thing is just, is, is so, and it's funny to me how stoicism and philosophy in general applies to a lot of current empirically based research based, um, behavioral therapies and modalities that are being taught across the country for people with mental illnesses or working on stress is it's the art of not being upset or not being bothered by that, which you really cannot control. That's what stoicism is to, to again, step back and say, X, Y, and Z is happening. I have no control over any of those things. So number one, let's not get upset by them. And number two, on the other hand, is to say, I 
control always my reaction to X, Y, and Z. And so knowing this, I have the responsibility then to act in the most virtuous manner possible. And that's the, that's the goal for, um, uh, uh, I would say, most Stoic philosophers who've, who we, we read uh, on now. But for, for me, living in, uh, you know, not, not in ancient, ancient Rome, but in, in modern day U.S., it's, for, for me, it, it helps me kind of step back and be like, you know what, I, 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 it's a reminder that I can't control how other people react or what things happen to me, I can, I, I genuinely can only control my actions. And if they're virtuous, you know what, uh, I'm gonna, when, when my life does end, it's, it's gonna end in, 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 a, in a good fashion, right? I will, have, I will have caused no harm in the world and hopefully brought some good things into it as well. Yeah, that's a beautiful definition of it um, and way to understand it. And uh, that reminds me of, um, you had a, article that I, I made a note that I wanted to talk about and I think it was US lacrosse or I don't know where it was but you had a three-step process um, identify the thought challenge it with logic and replace it with a positive thought um, what did you apply that to was that just applied to um, uh, I had I, written that down on a post-it note because I like those three steps and I use them um, so I can talk about how I use them. but uh, what did you originally apply that to uh, so I, I, my, my first introduction to therapy came through uh, this therapist who was trained in cognitive behavioral therapy. Uh, so it's a, it's a significant simplification of what CBT, as it's, that's the shorthand is, is it's known by, um, of uh, the, the process, and it's all writing stuff down. So the thing is, is like these aren't thought exercises, but they're called thought records. And I've done so many of these over the years. I can do them in my head and I, and I catch myself when I'm in a cognitive distortion and I can, I can challenge it right then and there. But when I was just starting off, the, the process was, okay, what's the thought? I hate myself. I'd write that down. That's the thought that I'm having. Okay, what's the cognitive distortion? And there's anywhere from eight to 12 to 20 cognitive distortions. But my favorite one is emotional reasoning. It's also the one that, that is most understandable by kids and all emotional reasoning means is I think it's true therefore it must be true or because I feel this way it is true not always the case right we know this from lived experience as we get older but when you're a kid that, that's what it feels like so I hate myself is the thought the cognitive distortion is emotional reasoning and then the positive thoughts are attacking it with with logical statements or with support from other people so my, one of my favorite coaching things that I give to them is if you've got a kid who says something like, oh, I'm no good at this, and he throws a stick down, right? Okay, what do you do with that? And he's like a little kid, right? Eight years old or something like that. He's just frustrated, right? And, and, and it's that point of he's in a mini crisis right now, so, so let's not give him advice. Let's let him think through this and guide him along in this way. And so the, the example I give is, is saying the same things that I've been giving in, in therapy. And I'd say, Bobby who's your best friend? You would say, Oh, Tim. I was like, all right. All right. So you and Tim are, are he's, he's your best friend. Would you ever say to Tim that you hate him? He go, no, no, I, I wouldn't do that. And he was like, you think Tim would ever say that to you? And he goes, no way. We're best friends. Right. And so why would you say that about yourself? You know, why would, why, why do you think that it's okay to tell yourself that you're terrible or you're never going to be good at this and then to shut up? 
because <laughs> we tend to over talk as adults mm-hmm. or over coach. Certainly. I know I have <laughs> uh, let, let the kid process that question and be like, Oh, it, it, it'll take time and maybe multiple versions of this exercise over time. But the idea being is that you can learn how to be a friend to yourself. And considering that this is the longest relationship you're going to have and you can't escape from it, you better figure out how to be a good friend to yourself <laughs> because that's just a miserable way to live life otherwise. But CBT is the way of, of kind of, of, of making that uh, conversation a little bit more structured of just saying, what am I thinking? Again, stepping back. I just had a thought and I have to do this with every now and again, I have a suicidal thought. It just whoop, comes into my brain. I go, oh, okay, that's what that is. What's a cognitive distortion? Likely catastrophizing. I think everything's going to, to hell in a handbasket and, and I should just get out of here uh, before anything gets worse or my life gets worse. What are the logical positive steps that I can go against that? Well, my family loves me. Um, you know, I have, a, I have a roof over my head. I have food. I have friends that care about me. I have survived trying to hurt, my, hurt myself. I don't want to go through that again. And the, the more logical it's not so much the positivity. It is the, the logical attack for it. Because again, what are we doing? We're engaging the prefrontal cortex. So we're giving that some exercise. We're, dip, we're, we're dropping that fight or flight response from the amygdala, uh, from the sympathetic nervous system. And we're giving our brain a chance to be like, you know what? That was a thought that, you know, uh, it might, might be in my head, but it's not one of my own thoughts. It's just not, it's just one of those things that jumps in there. And the sooner I think we can teach young kids to recognize that they don't have to listen to every thought that comes into their head, the better they're going to be in general life, the better they're going to be uh, with themselves, the better they're, better friends they're going to be, the better student they're going to be, because they have the ability to step back and be like, okay, what the heck was that thought? And, and to challenge it and to replace it with something. It's like, you know what? No, I'm, I'm not going to kill myself. I'm, I'm going to go out and I'm going to, I'm going to do something good for somebody today, or, or I'm going to go treat myself for me. I'm going to go treat myself to a coffee. Right. And that's going to make me feel good. And then, you know, that, that's the, those little tiny things that you can do. They, they add up, but you gotta, you gotta be attentive to them. And teaching kids that is, is probably the most valuable skill that I try to push in front of coaches when I do workshops. Yeah, I appreciate it. I love it. I think uh, I recently, um, I forget where I read this, but I, I read the line, um, don't always listen to yourself, talk to yourself. And it's kind of that reality, right? Of what you just yeah. said. Of, of uh, Certainly there's times to listen to yourself and reflect and meditate and be present. And there's yeah. times to recognize that um, not every thought you have in your head is true. And 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 um, it's, it's important to talk to yourself. And I think you know, my hope with this podcast is that these episodes are evergreen. They, they are just as relevant today as they are a year from now. And I know this will be, so I don't mean to make, I don't mean to pull everything back to the current moment. And part of why we scheduled this right now was so that people can be aware of these tools, these ideas, these strategies, these thoughts at a time where uh, we are in a situation that is going to be mentally challenging for a lot of us athletes who are now home, parents who have their kids now home, people yeah. who are working from home and isolated from, from other people. And I think it's important to just, you know, every, everything you've just mentioned and shared um, are strategies for the field of play 
and their strategies that people can use right now when they find themselves in moments of frustration or, or feeling a sense of depression or a sense of sadness or isolation because of right now. So I'm just, just grateful to have had you on during, during this time. Uh, it's, it's my pleasure. I'm glad we were able to do this and uh, just uh, certainly grateful to be able to, to, to share my message with, with your audience. And, and my, my big thing is, uh, as I've said on, on some other uh, podcasts as well, if, if anybody wants to, to reach out to me, you know, you just head to my site and pull all my contact information down. If you got questions, I will answer them as best I can. If I don't know the answers um, or I don't have a good answer for you, I'll tell you. I'm perfectly fine saying I don't know and then directing you to the places or people that, that will have answers for you. If, if how, what is your website and how do people find you? Uh, is it your website? Is it social media? How do people reach out if they want to? Yeah, so uh, I'm on, uh, uh, so the, the website is mentallyagile.com. So I post on that, not every day, but just about every other day. Um, you can subscribe to my email newsletter if you just want to get kind of uh, you know, chunks of stuff uh, once a week. Um, but mentallyagile.com, my contact information is on the site. Uh, G Corsetti at mentallyagile.com is my email. That's on the site. And then I've got all my, I'm on all the social media platforms. So you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, LinkedIn for the coaches out there who, who want to be on that. Um, and I share my articles. I put them out on my website and then I share links to those articles on all those platforms as well. So I try to get stuff out um, so people can, if they want to read them easily, they can. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm an open book in terms of being able to, to, to get in contact with, and I certainly like being able to have, uh, conversations with, with, with folks who are, who are just trying to figure out, you know, better ways in which to think. And that's, that's, that's what I'm all about. Yeah, I will say I, I'll vouch for your articles. They're fantastic. I love reading your blog and I think they're, uh, extremely relevant they're 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 topical and they're well written uh you've showed that on this podcast you have a way of describing this stuff that that makes it understandable and isn't too caught up in the the kind of high level science of it you know it clearly but you have a way of writing and sharing it that someone like me can understand it and uh, uh so i appreciate that i encourage people to check that out and i honor you for being an open book for being so approachable because you know at the heart of 50 cups of coffee is connection and and the best thing for connection is people who are open and honest and themselves and don't hold back and you can tell when someone is kind of half sharing their their story their their truth or whatever and and i don't judge people for that and when you have someone like yourself who's just willing to say this is who i am this is what i've been through this is what i'm going through and this is what i've learned that might be helpful to you that's tremendously helpful to anybody who's going through stuff in their life so i appreciate you for that and i appreciate you because uh you're a self-proclaimed introvert that has acknowledged <laughs> you do miss seeing people in person yeah. and, and connecting is important to you and i can't tell you how many times i'll be doing a, a uh, and my trainings are high energy and they're highly interactive and I'll right. have someone come up to me and say, oh, I, I, uh, I, they don't even say I don't like it. They say I can't do this because yeah. I'm an introvert. And, yeah. and that's where I always challenge and push back and say, uh, Ryan, who I work with, he's an introvert and he, he does the, he is a facilitator. He's a trainer. He's a speaker of this. And, and so, you know, just that nuance that introversion does not mean you hate people and you can't do anything uh like you said it's it means your bucket is filled by some alone time 
by by being in your own thoughts. And you know, I'm I'm an extrovert. My bucket is filled by large groups. I said that to my wife recently. Of this is going to be a difficult time for me because that is genuinely being in large groups of people is a bucket filler for me. Even if it's mm-hmm. just just being at like I love like county fairs, right? Yeah. Just walking around, people watching, and and so uh, I have to be more intentional about other things that are that are going to be bucket fillers for me during this time. And I also love to read and listen to podcasts and go for a run on my own. And I like to work out alone. And and so you know, just because I'm an extrovert doesn't mean I don't like those other things. So that's my soapbox a little bit. But I appreciate <laughs> you said that earlier when you brought up the fact that you're an introvert. And you, you speak to that, right? Don't you have a blog post about that idea or something like that? Uh, of, of, of I, I, did, I did one about how this, uh, the, you know, social distancing is nice, but it's not an introvert's dream. It's, yeah. We, um, yeah, we're, we're the best prepared for this, maybe. Um, but <laughs> we, uh, we, we, it's, I, I, I will, I still, to this day, do my very best work in coffee shops surrounded by people and noise and bustle. Um, that just lets me zero in on the thing that I want to work on. And it's like, I like being around people. And, and the big thing for me is just, you know, I go do a talk or a workshop and I'll be on for an hour or two hours and then not saying a word and totally decompressing and not having to, to, to worry about any kind of interaction. And then, then the battery will be filled and then I'll go out and, and, and we'll, we'll socialize. So yeah. Yeah. Just learning to deal with, with how you're wired. That's right. Learn to deal with how you're wired. I like that. Um, I will ask you my last 50 cups question before I do. Is there anything else you wanted to make sure you said or added to this conversation? Uh, no, I would just, uh, I, I think to really, if, if I can speak to any players who, who listen to you on this end, it's, it's that to acknowledge that, yeah, this does suck. Mm-hmm. And it's okay. Right. It's, it's just, it's, 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 it's not fun. We're all in this exact same boat, which is kind of the only real silver lining that we got with, with connecting with one another. Um, but it is okay to be, it's, it's generally all right to be upset or, or, or to be angry or to have a good cry about missing a season or, or, or whatnot. It's, that is perfectly, perfectly all right. And, and just, again, feel free to, 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 to step back and allow yourself to, to have that full feel of emotion um, because on the other side of that is, is something more positive. I, I can promise you that. Mm. Um, that'd, be, that'd be my last thing to kind of impart. Thank you for that. Um, so my last question for the podcast is um, to just share a, what I call a 50 cups of coffee story. It's simply a story of connection uh, and, you know, uh, similar to your, your story of Ben, of just coming over and saying, how are you? Are you okay? Uh, and that impacted you. It doesn't have to be that profound. It could be um, uh, you, you know, you, you did a lot of work with U.S. lacrosse. You know, a lot of times people say, uh, that kind of fell in my lap, you know, and I'm trying to, with this podcast, unpack some of those fall in my lap stories and say, was it an interaction you had with someone, a conversation? Quite frankly, I think you and I got connected, I'd probably say because of TJ Buchanan, yeah. um, because that's how I got introduced to working with U.S. lacrosse. So, um, and you're gonna I interviewed him as well um, but you're gonna beat him to being published I'll let him know that because <laughs> uh, I'm gonna launch this thing on Monday but uh, uh, so you know that simple kind of quite frankly coffee with TJ has led to a lot of connections in my life so I like mm-hmm. to just give the floor to you is there a, a story you have that can inspire people to embrace connecting 
Yeah, I, uh, I think I've got one that, that's special for me in the moment. It's, it's fairly recent. Um, so I had a, a fairly um, significant downturn mentally in October, this past October. Uh, I had to go into the hospital again for my own protection, got a new round of, 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 of treatment protocols, electroconvulsive therapy, a whole bunch of new stuff since my, my body wasn't responding well to medications. Um, and so and I was fortunate that, hey, I, I, I improved a treatment protocol uh, at a treatment center downtown. And I met what is now my very good friend, Ann. Uh, and Ann and I just sat down next to each other in the lunchroom. She saw my, uh, my Cerberus tattoo. Uh, I've got my, my forearm tattoo here. I'll, I'll tap it up. So she saw, she saw the Cerberus tattoo. She's like, is that Cerberus? Like you're the first person that's picked that out. And she goes, well, I love Greek mythology. And, and I was like, I love Greek mythology. And we just bam, hit it off and just established this excellent friend relationship in treatment. And we were worried. We were like, is this, are we just treatment buddies? Are we just camp friends? And then when we both <laughs> leave, like, is that going to be the thing? And no, we've, um, in this, uh, you know, new normal of social distancing, uh, later tonight, we're doing a, a we're FaceTiming and watching Emperor's New Groove because yeah. we, we just, we, we enjoy a lot of the same stuff. We, we genuinely crack each other up. Uh, and it's just a, one of those things where we, I, I met a good human and, and that is, that is bringing a, a good amount of light into my life. Um, and I, and certainly on, on my end to hers as well. Uh, we just enjoy being able to crack each other up. And I think, especially in these times, you know, you, you got to find ways to laugh. And, uh, it was just cool that, you know, she was just like, huh, I like the tattoos. And, and that's, and from there I've got quite honestly, I think a friendship I'll have for the rest of my life. That's a perfect story. I, uh, I, um, appreciate that. It's a kind of, like you said, just a, just a moment of sitting down next to someone. And, uh, because, uh, I met a guy years ago named John Wasserman at a, uh, event I was at. It was like, a I forget what the event was, but it was, it was related to leadership development, uh, up at, uh, in Philadelphia. And, was talking to this guy, hit it off. And I think I said like, Oh, we should stay in touch. He pulls out his phone and pulls up the calendar and goes, all right, well, when are you available? And, and it, it seemed strange, but we set up a time to connect. And afterward, people that knew him, I had a mutual friend. He was like, that's John. That's how he does things. And I think that's the, the powerful next step of what you shared. You connected with this individual and then you're, you're getting together via FaceTime tonight, which is a, a step a lot of people don't take just because they're not thinking about it. They're not intentional about it. So that yeah. that's the kind of stuff that keeps this alive. So love the story. I uh, have loved having you on here. Was excited to make it happen. And you suggested Zoom months ago. And I said, no, no, these are in person. And then the universe <laughs> said, no, they're not. Uh, so so I, uh, I'm glad we're able to hop on Zoom. And uh, sincerely, just, just I know I said it earlier, I'll say it again. Um, I think the lacrosse community is lucky to have you in terms of just being an advocate for talking about mental health, talking about these conversations, and you as someone who is just being just abundantly transparent and honest and un unapologetically yourself with these conversations is helpful. And I think folks beyond lacrosse are going to hear this and benefit from it. So thank you for, for doing what you do on a daily basis. I appreciate you. Well, thank you very much, Bobby. That that means a great deal, and uh, like I said, I'm I'm grateful to to reach to reach your audience uh, as well. And uh, curious where where this will be able to take uh, the, uh, the both of us. So I wish you the very best of luck in, in keeping this podcast going. I got myself uh, subscribed, so I'll be listening to my next run. So uh, looking forward to it. 
Awesome, Gordon. Well, I'll hit stop recording, but don't leave. I'll say goodbye to you off mic. Uh, thanks again for doing this, man. Yep. Thank you for listening to the 50 Cups of Coffee podcast. Once again, I want to reiterate, Gordon Corsetti nor I are medical professionals. If you or someone you know is seeking help for mental health concerns, visit the National Alliance on Mental Health website or call 1-800-950-6264. That's 1-800-950-6264. For confidential treatment referrals, visit the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration website or call the National Helpline at 1-800-662-HELP. That's 1-800-662-4357. In an emergency, contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255 or call 911. If you are enjoying the show, please subscribe wherever you are listening. We will drop a new interview every Sunday or Monday. With my new schedule and your new schedules, I have been getting these episodes out on Sunday and have been receiving some pretty good engagement and listens on Sunday. So it is not my guarantee, but I will do my best to get these out on Sunday. And still the guarantee is the new episode will drop by Monday. Please give us a rating and leave a review if you haven't already and connect with me on social at Bobby Audley. If you are interested in learning more about our peak performance coaching program or simply grabbing a virtual cup of coffee with me, go to calendly.com forward slash Bobby Audley zero one. That's C-A-L-E-N-D-L-Y dot com forward slash Bobby Audley and then the number zero one. This podcast is a production of the Pinot Training Group and our theme music is by Matisse Soy. To learn more about the work we do with teams and organizations, please check us out at Pinot Training Group dot com.